Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. Today, we're bringing you a special episode of the HR Works Podcast as we share a recent conversation that I had with Neil Bryant, Vice President of Coaching and Leadership at Bluepoint, a leading provider of leadership development and coaching programs. Neil recently joined me for a virtual fireside chat, presented as part of HR Daily Advisors' HR Leadership Week, and he offered some great insight into what effective leadership communication looks like in 2023. Look, HR professionals understand, as well as anyone, that the dynamics of the working world are complex and constantly evolving. Corporate cultures and the way we work are anything but one-size-fits-all, And the same can be said for the many different ways that leaders are now required to communicate and make an impact across their workplace and staff. From virtual one-on-one chats, to team-building outings, to company-wide town hall updates, each requires a unique skill set and approach to truly deliver the right message. So how can leaders of organizations adapt and sharpen their communication skills to become effective and flexible across multiple corporate settings? And how can HR teams help develop these essential communication skills in their current and future leaders setting their organizations up for true success. Let's listen into this conversation with Neil Bryant, and we'll find out. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Josh Zygmunt, content director here at Simplify Media for the parent company of HR Daily Advisor. Thank you for joining us on day two of HR Daily Advisor's HR Leadership Week, an entire week dedicated to providing you, the HR professional, with the advice, tools, and resources to help understand what it means to be an effective and impactful leader of your workforce in 2023. Hopefully you got your week kicked off with yesterday's informative and exciting panel discussion, all built around HR's growing role in the C-suite. And we're glad to have you back today to keep these great leadership conversations going. So without further ado, let's get you introduced to our guest speaker today, Neil Bryant, Bluepoint's Vice President of Coaching and Leadership, who's gonna take us through a closer look at leadership communication and why it is not a one-size-fits-all opportunity. So let's welcome Neil Bryant, Bluepoint's Vice President of Coaching and Leadership. Neil, welcome. Thanks so much, Josh. Excited to be with you. Well, it's great to have you on. So Neil, let's get you introduced to our audience here. Why don't you start off by just telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Oh, thanks very much. I'm happy to. And uh, I want to let you know how much I appreciate the opportunity to get to spend time with with you and your audience. And uh, I want to give a shout out to the folks who are joining us today. We've all decided to devote our our times and our talents to helping other people get better. And we're in the business of supporting organizations and individuals. And I just want to applaud the group. Uh, I I consider it to be a privilege to be part of that community. This, as you all know, is the ideal time to be in our profession. The pressures in the workplace, things that have been happening post-COVID, the emergence of technologies is making the workplace ripe with opportunities for those of us who care about growing others. Uh, So it's an exciting time to be here. So to answer your question a little bit about me, clearly, I am just passionate about transforming people and organizations. That's why I get up in the morning. It's what I love to do. And I thought, instead of talking about me, I'd like to give you some insight on what really floats my boat. So I printed off something. I'm actually going to read it to everyone. It won't take long. But hopefully you'll get a feel for who who I am, Josh. We recently completed a a year-long leadership development program um, with two cohorts of leaders in a very large organization. At the end of that program, we asked each of the students to respond to three questions. And I want to read the responses uh, of one of the answers to the group. And this will tell you about what I care about. The first question was, What did you learn about yourself in this program? Here's what one person wrote. I can rise to new challenges and speak courageously for what I believe is right for our company and for my team. Second question was, what did you learn about leadership? I've learned that every encounter is a moment for leadership and that capitalizing on even the smallest opportunity can have a large impact. The third question was, how are you going to pay this experience forward? And one respondent was, I will dedicate myself to making more leaders by emphasizing listening and coaching. 
Now, you can't tell, Josh, because we're several states away and I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. But when I read those, I get goosebumps. This is what makes me go. Um, I've spent 40 years observing, studying, and working with leaders. And I've seen organizations that thrive under great leadership. And unfortunately, I've also observed the reverse. And so I'm committed to helping whatever I've learned become leveraged by other organizations. And that's why I'm here. So from a formal point of view, yes, I'm the vice president of coaching and leadership development at Blue Point. Prior to that, I was the vice president of leadership development for a global medical imaging company. Um, I have a master's degree in leadership development from Penn State University. Uh, I have my IFC professional coaching certification. I've studied it at the Tillegas Leadership Institute and CCL, the Disney Leadership Institute. And I'm married to a marvelous woman who is a um, internationally recognized author of children's books and young adults books. And we live in this just north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, well, that, that is fantastic. Again, Neil, thank you for that background. Great to have you here with our group, too. And again, a perfect person to present for us as part of HR Leadership Week uh, with a great HR audience here. So let's dig into the topic. Again, we want to make the most of this time we've got with you here today. So let's start with those top trends in leadership development. What are you seeing right now? And as we're here to talk about communication, and you touched on that communication piece a bit already, but how does that relate to what we're seeing in leadership communication? Yeah, Josh, and I, I imagine everyone that's probably in the audience now are seeing the same things I'm seeing. That This is the first time in probably a decade, maybe 12 years, where whoever's studies you're looking at on the, the condition of the workforce, they're all pretty much saying the same thing. Maybe different words, but the themes are exactly the same. And the top three themes are the need for a positive work culture. What is an organization doing to make their place a place where their employees want to be? It's the number one theme across all different types of research formats and studies. Uh, and we're all seeing the same reports. That's number one is how do you create a great workplace culture? Number two is how do we generate real commitment from employees? And I want to make the distinction between compliance and commitment, right? We all know that there are things we have to do in our job because we have to do them. But then there are those things that we really lean into, where we, we devote all of ourselves. And the workplace is calling for environments that create that draw of true, real employee commitment to their work. And the third trend is leadership fatigue. And leadership fatigue is coming about because of one and two. Uh, we've gone into this hybrid remote workforce. Technology is different. Um, the demographics of the workplace of employees has changed. So it's creating a lot of wear and tear and stress on leaders. And those three elements together are kind of shaping what we need to do in terms of our leadership development agenda. Yeah, it's creating a need to really be adaptable and learn to be new leaders, but also new communicators and finding ways to meet employees where they are. That's something we talk about so often within HR Daily Advisor and creating the employee experience often is meeting employees where they are. And no two workforces are the same, especially these days where we see so many different approaches to organizational structure, to teams, what teams look like, uh, where they're located as well. Um, and all that comes with new challenges and nuances. So with that, Neil, I think it's safe to say that general communication skill doesn't seem all that effective for leaders today. Would you agree? I think the way I would phrase it, Josh, is an oversimplification of communication skills or, or categorizing the way I communicate in one bucket, I think is insufficient. I, I think uh, what the environment is asking for is attention to communication in different ways. And what we're seeing is, and a lot of it is what you and I are doing today, right? The evolution of the screen and not being in the hallway with employees, um, time zones, languages, things like that. The we tend to default to communication being a thing. And my observation and what I'm finding working with leaders is it's not one thing. There are actually multiple dimensions. And those of us who are in the people development business need to acknowledge that so that we can help leaders build different channels. I, let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about here. 
and, and when we were talking about what do we want to call this piece, I'm calling it setting the tone because we all know that what leaders do is what's mimicked and adopted or rejected, right? So the leaders are the visible ones. They're the ones sending out messages and employees make decisions every day, all day long about, am I in or am I not? So setting the tone takes on a real relevance in terms of the role of the leader. We also know that the way the leaders behave are the primary shapers of culture, engagement, and commitment, which get back to these primary drivers in the industry today. So the bottom line is, I believe, I believe, it's my opinion, that leadership communication has been kind of overlooked or maybe even undervalued in today's environment. Let me paint a picture for you. Recently, I was invited to sit in on a couple of companies, uh, like their quarterly company update, Josh, where, and it's done virtually, like not everyone's in the same auditorium type of thing, but you're on a screen and the leaders are, are visible and all the employees have their cameras turned off. And it's kind of like a quarterly town hall. Right, okay. In one setting, um, the CEO came on and said good morning to everyone and then pulled up a slide. And on that slide was a spreadsheet. And across the top of the spreadsheet were different financial indicators, um, you know, year to date, monthly to date, quarterly to date compared to last year. And then down the side were different areas of the, of the business. And of course, then this table is filled out with all kinds of numbers with different colors and some had arrows going different directions. And that the initial message was the CEO describing the financial performance of the organization that he handed it off to, uh, to a woman who was in charge of product development. And she pulled up one slide that had, oh, maybe a dozen bullet points that talked about, here's what's happening with our products. So I'm sitting in the audience and I'm asking myself, if I were an employee and this is what I see from my senior leadership in our quarterly update, what message does that send? What am I feeling right now as an employee? And again, I'm not trying to take shots or, or, or all of that, but let me contrast that with another organization. The CEO came on full camera, was the only person on camera, um, no slides, no prompts, nothing. And she proceeded to tell three, or maybe it was four, I, I forget now, stories about what the organization has done, real life stories of what the organization has done since the last meeting to further its mission. And in the stories, she was relating the customers who were affected and highlighting the employees who were involved in that anecdote. So she was taking advantage of the opportunity to communicate by expressing, here's how what we've all signed up to do is actually occurring. And kudos to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so for the role they played. Look at the customer they delighted. Wow. Yeah. And I sat back and said, well, if I were interviewing to go work in one of these two companies and all that I saw were these two town hall meetings, who would I work for and why? So I just want to set that framework as I'm not trying to criticize someone or not, but the message I want to convey, what I want to ask our HR leaders to think about is what is the message that your leaders are sending to your workforce? And how are they sending it? Are they the newspaper reporter with the sound bites or are they generating a feeling? Are they creating inspiration? Are they inspiring? Are they inviting commitment? Are they pointing direction to how what you do helps fulfills the purpose of what we all signed up for? And with that as a backdrop is when I get into how do you dig into the meat of creating effective communication styles. Uh, I love that, Neil. And I'm now equally getting the goosebumps. That was a great way to look at how different communication styles can really set the tone, can set the culture of your organization into place. And, and you're right. The leadership teams are truly leading from the front and being the example for the rest of an organization. And when you do it right, can really set the tone and align with what you maybe want your culture to be but really act on it and put things into action. So it starts from that communication and, and how you're communicating from the top down. We, we use that term a, a lot on the HR side, top-down leadership. 
And what better way than how you're communicating to your team? It's not a general catch-all to say communication skill. There's different lenses. There's different ways to look at communicating. And we've certainly learned that there's different ways to work right now. So they, they kind of go in hand in hand. So with that being said, can we take a look at the different lenses of leadership communication right now? Why is it important to consider language for different spaces, for different places, for different lenses? Yeah, it's, it's a great tee up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about four different communication. I love your word. I love your word lens. Um, four different communication lenses or dimensions of communication. And what I want to invite the audience to do is think about your leaders and think about how would you assess their effectiveness in each of these, right? And I'm not suggesting that everyone has to master all of them, but I think what's important is recognizing that they all play a part. So, so as we talk about them, I want to ask each of you to consider hmm, I was just in a meeting with so-and-so, or I was briefing this person. How did that go? And how does that compare with how she is in this environment or how he does in this type of a setting? So that we can create a composite um, developmental agenda for, for each of our leaders and respecting the, the power that they do have. So it, let's, let's, let's kind of peel back the onion from this. Communication is one thing. And, and so I'm going to go through the four dimensions that are all mentioned in the, in the briefing of the document. And I want to start with something called dyadic communication or dyads, right? It's, it goes back to Latin word, which means two. So a dyad is two. And you and I are having a dyadic conversation with a lot of people listening in. So the definition of dyad is it's a one-on-one. It's one-on-one. Uh, and almost everyone who's in our field knows that Leadership happens one conversation at a time. The conversation may involve a larger audience, but really we move people when we're with them one-on-one. So I want to ask the audience to think about the last time you had a very meaningful one-on-one conversation with a leader or an emerging leader in your organization. Think about that conversation. When you left the conversation, what were you thinking What were you feeling? What did he or she do that impacts the amount of energy and commitment you have to now do to attack whatever it is? Did you come away with, oh, this is freaking awesome. I can't wait. You know, hold me back. I want to get going on this right away. I got some new insight. Uh, She cleared the way for me to get something done. I now have a target ahead of me that I know we're all aiming towards. Or was it a conversation of, well, thank God I got out of that one without getting hit, you know, or, oh, I was, I was afraid they were going to bring this up. Thank God they didn't bring it up. Or, yeah, it looks like they were concealing some information. I didn't have it. Again, I'm painting extremes for you, but I think we often let that analysis go without inspection because we come away from every conversation with a sense of commitment and a sense of purpose and great leaders understand how to exercise that skill so that individuals leave them can't wait until the next time they're with them. What did they do or not do that created that sensation in you? One of my former bosses was just magnificent at this. Um, she uh, She was just so engaging that you couldn't wait to have your one on one you knew she was going to share information you didn't have before. She was going to give you a stretch assignment, but she wasn't going to give you one that she she knew you couldn't do. She was going to clear things out of the way that you knew you'd have her back, that she would have her back. And she said, and you decide exactly how you want to do it. And so every time I would leave a meeting with her, it was like being shot out of a cannon. Or, you know, Bette Midler had the song, you know, The Wind Beneath My Wings. And you leave that conversation, you can't wait to get going. Have you ever had conversations like that? When you leave a conversation with one of your leaders, do you feel that way or do you feel otherwise? So mastering the dyadic part of leadership communication is is one essential element. Yeah, the one-on-one communication. That's a perfect way to kick us off, Neil. We all have those at any size of an organization, whether, again, your large enterprises or your small businesses. That dyadic communication is essential to 
to all leadership. And we're all leaders at certain levels and having those one-on-one conversations, whether they're managers or the C-suite, you're having those on a, on a frequent basis and at such a crucial point of engagement. That's huge. Josh, this has a direct correlation to one of the trends and the pressures we're seeing right now is with a lot of hybrid and remote workforces, a lot of employees and managers, they have their one-on-one time via screen. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's very effective. It's cost-effective. It saves travel dollars, things like that. What it doesn't have is the intimacy of sitting in the office or, hey, you know, let's grab a Let's grab a water and go sit in the cafeteria and have a conversation. You lose some of that intimacy. So the the ability to prepare for those one-on-one conversations takes on a slightly different angle. Generally, employees feel that the agenda is going to be more formal and that they better be ready with their checklist of things because it's structured more than it used to be. So it's calling for leaders to be sensitive to my one-on-one conversations have a different lever right now. Um, so a lot of the skills we work on with leaders is how do you create that informal setting yet still be inspiring with a screen in front of you and you know at the bottom of the hour, you both have to jump off and go into your next meeting. How do you make that time valuable? Right. It's an opportunity to be very personal and personable, but also again, keep that structure, keep that intent and, and keep everyone locked in. It, it's that fine line between casual um, and, and overly comfortable to to being again buttoned up and really uh, strategic. And casual and effective are not mutually exclusive, yeah. right? Um, which actually is, is kind of a great lead into the second dimension I'd like to talk about. Can we go to that one let's now? Let's do it. Let's, let's change our lens to the next group here. Yeah, let's, let's move from dyad and go into what I call small group communication. How am I defining a small group? I'm defining a small group as figure five to 12 people. Um, The setting could be a staff meeting, uh, whether it's in-person or virtual, or it could be uh, an informal group of people at the lunch table if you're in the same building, or or even during a social hour, like maybe there's a happy hour. Hey, everyone, let's go. Let's go grab something, kind of sit around the table, talk about how our week went. Think of a small group as... It could be formal or informal, but everyone still knows who the leader is. Right. Right. You, you kind of know, okay, I, it's, they're saying informal and my voice has my, you know, my voice has voice, if they, as they say, but I still know who the boss is, right? That setting provides a different context for communication and that navigation of formality and informality and, and the minimizing of hierarchies that we're seeing in the workplace now how do I manage a conversation and manage a message and a feeling across my team in that environment? It's a different skill than it is in a dyadic conversation, right? Let me give you another example. There's a gentleman I used to work with, and we gave him the nickname, Josh, of, we called him the Woo guy. Woo is W-O-O, and it stands for Wins Others Over. He had, we all know people like this. He had that natural persona that wherever he was, everyone would gravitate towards him. But the the visual is almost, um, if you've ever seen young kids for the first time playing soccer, they call it beehive soccer. Where the ball is, you just see this group of people all moving. You don't even see the ball. You just see this congregation of kids all in one lump. Leaders that have this ability in an informal setting or a small group setting exhibit the same thing. You, 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 walk, you walk into the, to the bar during happy hour, everyone's around this person. Sure, you're magnetic. They're magnetic. That's a great way of putting it. They're charismatic, um, but charisma doesn't mean artificial. It's just genuinely who they are. Well, what is it that those people are doing that attract others to them? Is it their DNA? Is their natural personality? Yes, it is all of those things. But there's also plenty of science and neuroscience that tells us there are techniques and communication messages that we that we share that draw people to us. Now, this environment is particularly challenging for those who consider themselves more on the introverted side of the introvert-extrovert scale. And I only know because I are one right? That setting for me is very challenging because I'm not good at fluidity of dialogue. It's just not, 
it's not my happy place, right? So I've had to learn how to be my authentic self, but communicate the same way with my people as I do when I'm in one-on-one or in a large group setting, which we'll talk about later, so that they see consistency from me. They know who I am, who I am for real, and I don't send mixed messages in different communication forums. So it's really important to acknowledge how is a leader in an informal setting or small group setting? So again, I'll ask the audience, imagine you you sit in on a leader's staff meeting. How do they communicate? What do they do? How do they invite participation? How do they share power? How do they communicate and articulate what they need their team to do in a way, in a manner that people feel ownership. That is a skill set. And that form just provides a different piece of landscape that we need to be assessing and supporting our leaders. That's fantastic. So then what needs to change from going to a dyadic conversation to adapting to holding court in a smaller group? Are there any key factors that stick out there, Neil? Yeah, there really are. And again, the times are calling for it. Um, you know, when I was, I won't say how many years ago, you know, and member of a, of a team with my very first leader, the environment was very different and the expectations of employees are very different. What, what the workplace, and we all know right now that Josh, as you know, as well as anyone, this is an employee driven workplace, not an employer driven workplace is some of the subtlety of, of small group management from leaders is requiring the sharing of power and the empowerment. So what are we doing to include people in a way that they want to be included? It's not by going person to person. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Because some people actually find that very offensive and ineffective in in a way that they want to be heard. So it forces better one-on-one relationships out of the context so you can draw your team members in in the way that's meaningful to them. So a lot of it is kind of now blending this What's my dyad relationship with each of my team members? But then how do I extrapolate that in the group setting? Yeah, it's, it seems to be giving, again, that confidence to your small group to feel like their voice is heard, that they can contribute, that they're valued, and really steering that conversation, creating that environment. And it's really an extension of the, the word we've all been using for the last 12 to 18 months, which is empathy, right? It's right. extending empathy in that setting because not everyone's gonna respond the same way, right? But as the leader, it's still, it's my responsibility that everyone would leave that room, everyone would leave that staff meeting, everyone would leave that happy hour, feeling engaged, empowered, and you know what? This is the place where I wanna be working. Oh, really well said. So now, Neil, let's change that focus again. Let's look through a new lens and the large group lens. You touched on it briefly there, but let's dig in to really what makes that unique. Yeah, so this is most of the time when we talk about leadership communication, people immediately go to Steve Jobs on stage announcing a new product. You know, with the, with the leader on the stage, the huge backdrop and the lights and the, the fireworks and everyone's ready to applaud. We think of the setting where the leader is front and center. Uh, even the examples I gave at the opening of our conversation of the, the quarterly meetings that I sat in on. My definition of large group and large group communication is when the leader is on. They are on stage or on camera. Um, they are addressing a large group. It probably will not be interactive. Uh, and the primary message is they have something to communicate. Um, and that is a, a very different setting because there isn't a lot of give and take, uh, and particularly in a screen where you can't read body language or what are people really doing? Is anyone taking notes? Have they fallen asleep? That's a different way of setting a tone of what you want the organization to be thinking about. So in this context, think about presentations, addresses, uh, town halls, that sort of a thing. When we talk about leadership skill in this setting, there's really three areas of focus. And that's always starts with what's the content followed by the context and then relationship. And I'll hit on them real briefly. So as a leader, when you're getting ready to address your workforce, 
what is the content? What, what I mean by content? What's the message? What exactly is it you're trying to say? And how succinctly can you say it or illustrate it? The second element is context, which is why this and why now and why them? So if you think about it, you might have a message you want to communicate and now's the time to communicate it, but a month ago would not have been the right time or 30 days from now would not be the right time. So what is it about the context of now that needs to be baked into what I'm communicating? It makes it relevant. And the third element, which is usually skipped, is relationship. By virtue of what I want to communicate right now to my organization, what relationship am I asking them to strike with me? Is it a challenge? Is it a threat? Is it a celebration? Is it, um, is it a spurring? Is it an, an innovative idea? What, what's the chemistry I'm trying to create with these people? that frankly, in that first example I gave you, it was absent. So, so basically the relationship there was, we have no relationship. Here's our financial report, here's the product update, go back to work. Yeah, it's really cold. Right? Now, to certain audience, that might appeal to them. So again, I'm not taking shots. My question is, is it the right message for the audience? So in a large group setting, the, the leader needs to recognize they are in full control of what's going to come out. So have I honored what it is I want to say? Why am I saying it now? And what relationship do I want to strike with these people? If they're not thinking through those, those factors or through those filters, they're minimizing their own impact on the culture. So what I'll ask our, our audience is when you think about when your organization pulls together and the leadership team is doing something as a leader. What's the message? What are you feeling? What do you sense the employees are feeling? If someone was interviewing right now to come to your company and they sat through this presentation, what would they think? And I think that'll help us in, as we've all signed up to be in the business of helping other people grow. That's what we all do, right? When you think about this dimension, it's important to separate it from small group and dyad because they are separate and distinct skills. What I'm seeing shift right there, Neil, as you're describing just those first three lenses is the change in feedback with your audience. Something at the dyad level, it's very back and forth. It's one-on-one. It's meant to be a conversation to where you move to small group and there's a bit less feedback. Leaders is driving that a bit more, but it's encouraged to open up the, the dialogue and have some empowerment within the group. But then you get to these larger groups, you're going to get less direct feedback, less back and forth. But it seems that you need to also put more thought into how you're setting that tone, what you want to say to make sure that you're not losing impact as you're not getting as much direct feedback. That's a very accurate assessment. And if you take, if you take that another step, Josh, what's the one thing that a leader has to have in order to have followership. It's trust. It's trust. If your people don't trust you, they might do what you tell them to do, but they're not going to bring themselves to work. They're not going to give you all they have to offer. Generating trust in an intimate dialogue is very different than generating trust when I'm speaking to several hundred people or to 50, whatever the size of the organization is. The techniques and the methodologies to do that are very different, yet the requirement is essential because every time a leader has a communication opportunity with their people, whether it be one-on-one or small group or large group, every one of those is an opportunity to re-engage and re-establish trust. Right. What I like that you mentioned as well, Neil, with the large group setting is knowing your audience too and understanding the tone you want to set and the tone that works best for your audience. The early example you gave of the just very stat-heavy presentation may work well for that team and for what that group is looking for, but ultimately you need to know what your audience is, what you're, as the leader, looking to achieve in setting that tone, but also the tone that works best for your audience. Um, Conversely, if you want to create that warm, more engaged, less in the numbers and more personality-driven that, that may work best for your audience, but really get a sense of who you're speaking to and the tone both you want to set and what cuts through. 
And I think that's relevant to Josh for all the, the, the skilled professionals who, who might be listening to this in that most leaders know how they like to communicate. A way that we can effectively serve them is to be objective. And for us to, to be asking the question, is that message resonating with the employee audience? Because the leader themselves might be completely committed and passionate and energetic about doing the right thing, but it's missing the mark. And that's where I think we have an obligation to say, uh, Bill or, or Susan or, or, or Joaquin, I don't think you're hitting it. I think this is what they heard. That's where we have a responsibility for that because they're doing what they can to lead. I think our job is to help build some bumpers in the bowling alley to make sure that the energy they're putting into their work is what's being received by the employees. Yeah, it brings back the feedback element that may not be direct in that moment, but should certainly be factored in to, to really help guide leadership to make more of that impact. Now, Neil, we've got a fourth lens on the table here that we haven't gotten to, and that's one I'm really interested in, and that's self-talk. Tell us a bit about that one. Well, this is the keys to the kingdom. So as you can see so far, we started with dyad and then small group and then large group. You're thinking, wow, the audience is getting bigger and bigger. What I will tell you is this fourth dimension, and any of, any of you who are listening who are coaches, you will know this to be true. Probably the most meaningful form of communication or the most meaningful dynamic or dimension of communication is self-talk. What do I mean by self-talk? Self-talk is that conversation that each of you are having with yourself right now, even while I'm speaking. I know I'm, I'm wonderfully magnetic and engaging, but by the same token, someone is thinking about, boy, I'm really hungry, I wanna get something to eat, or oh, I can't forget to pick the kids up tonight, or well, if I don't get that report in by, by the deadline today, I'm in trouble. And that's all to be expected. The speed with which our brains process is just so much more powerful than the time it takes to listen to someone or to speak. So even while we're in a conversation with someone, we're thinking about something else and realistically multiple something else's, right? The reason why it's important to dig into that dynamic is that we know the stories we tell ourselves, what we're saying to ourselves comes out in what we say to others. Now, Josh, you're a lot younger than I am, so I'm going to put you on the spot. You may not know the answer, but way back when, when uh, technology was coming into form and computers and all that, there was this saying that everyone said, and it was garbage in, garbage... Garbage out. Right. Well, that's not true. Um, with the brain, it's garbage in, garbage stays. Garbage in, garbage stays. The way brain processes and neuroscience is unlocking all of this for us, which is a fascinating field. Garbage in, garbage stays. The things that we say to ourselves reside. They resonate. They root. They cement themselves. So the words we use throughout our day and our days and our weeks become our own reality. And eventually that reality spills out in the way we engage with each other and with our followers. Recognizing this dynamic requires attention and dare I say maintenance, because as leaders, what do we deal with most during the course of the day? Problems, issues, conflicts, um, headwinds, setbacks, adversity. So all day long, we're dealing in what could be perceived as negativity. We also are human beings and we get tired and our defenses weaken and over time, we, oh my God. And the to-do list just becomes problem, 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 problem. And so the language we start to adopt is language around negativity. That language eventually comes out in our, in our communication methodology. So one of the things that we need to do is to learn how to manage our self-talk to be more effective. And there's some very simple exercises. I'm actually going to, I'm going to explain an exercise to the audience. They can laugh at me if you want, but I would ask you to consider doing this with some of your leaders. And here's the exercise. It's nothing more than is referred to as cognitive reframing. So here's the exercise. Sit down with one of your leaders and have her or him take a piece of paper and just draw a vertical line down the middle. 
And on the left-hand side, have them write down typical things that they say to themselves during the course of the day. And you're going to find they're generally negatively flavored. Uh, I'll give you a common example. Um, I simply just, ha I have too much work to do. It's an easy one. Or another one is, you know what, our internal systems are really a barrier to our organization. Just have them write down two or three of the things they say to themselves of a negative nature. Now have them go over to the right side of the paper and challenge them to write down a more positive reframing of the same issue. Now, to be clear, we're not solving the problem. We're not sidestepping the problem. We're not sweeping it under the carpet. All we're doing is changing the language. Okay? So let's go back to a couple of my examples. One was, I simply have too much to work to do. A different way of stating that is, I control how I prioritize my time. I control how I prioritize my time. It doesn't mean I have any less work to do. It doesn't mean my to-do list goes away. But imagine if you say to yourself all day long, which you do, I have too much work to do. I have too much work to do. I have more work to do. Oh my word, here comes more work. When we say that over and over and over, it becomes our reality. If, on the other hand, I said, I can control how I prioritize my work. I control how I prioritize my work. I'm now empowered. It's up to me. It's within my control. So again, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the issue at hand. What I'm trying to communicate is the message and the story we say to ourselves has an impact on our own energy levels, which influences our communication. So the other example, right? Our systems are inferior. Our systems are barrier to progress. Okay, well, maybe knowing our systems have limitations I need to change my expectation. Knowing the limitations of our systems, I should change my expectation. Again, I'm not solving the issue and I'm not sidestepping it. But what I'm saying to myself influences the way I think and the way I'm going to communicate with others. So this self-talk is absolutely essential. And frankly, it's the most important of the four dimensions. Because what I say to myself, the stories I'm creating in myself, eventually are played out in my dyadic conversations, in my small group interactions, and in my large group presentations. So the challenge I'd like to throw out to the, to the audience is maybe take this exercise, hmm, yourself, and then maybe sit down with one of your leaders and do it. What I will tell you, well, you can see the description of the exercise is very, very simple. I will also share with you, it is a very difficult exercise. So if it's something that sounds like, oh yeah, I can crank that out in a couple minutes. No, it, it's heavy lifting. Uh, and in fact, a, a lot of leaders that we work with require some coach intervention because there are some underlying issues that are fueling that self-language. But the return of making this visible to a leader, it's incredible. It's, I've had people call me in the middle of the night and say, I just, different time zones, I just said this to my team instead of this, and it completely changed the direction of the meeting. You had the aha moment. The aha moment. And, and it, I'll get texts and say, well, I hadn't thought of it that way. And, and it, But it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. And so I want to challenge our audience to think about your own self-talk and then how are you helping your leaders navigate their own it's a mindset shift and, and you're right it's the one thing that you've got the most control of because again you're you're in full control of, of how you're going to approach your problems or your mindset in leadership but it's also can be one of the most challenging ones too and and the the maybe most difficult one to unpack but really taking a commitment to figure out that that's great i love that neil overall again that that really gives us a unique look at the four different lenses to communication styles it's not one size fits all as as these examples really showcased. So interesting to unpack. Thank you for that, Neil. No, it's a pleasure. I guess to me, um, what I'm hopefully I'm articulating well, and again, I'm grateful uh, to share the time with you and your audience. I'll be happy to answer me any questions that, that you might have in your, in, in, your, in your mind, Josh. But I guess the thought I really want to leave with our audience uh, of passionate and devoted people developers is 
how leaders communicate is their brand. It's their brand. And we as people developers, I think, have a responsibility to help them accurately see the brand that they're creating. And it's not as simple as saying, hey, can you say that faster or smile more? There's a lot more to it. And we need to help them understand which of these dimensions are they already gifted? Where are they strong? Where do they feel powerful? And in which dimensions it might be detracting from the brand they're trying to create. I think that's a role that we play. And I think that's a role that helps an organization adopt a culture um, based on the communication styles and frankly, the tone that the leaders set. So Neil, speaking to now an audience of HR professionals who have people at their core and are looking to advance and create not just their current leaders, but future leaders as well. What can our audience do to really help boost that leadership and improve communication styles across their team? What can the HR leader bring to their team to really help move this awareness and this the advancement of good leadership communication along? Boy, that's a full question. Uh, how much more time do we have? Uh, I think it, it, as you were asking it, there were there were three three things that popped into my mind and of my advanced age, hopefully I can remember the third one when I get to it. But it it strikes me as three things are are calling to me. The first is one of awareness, of awareness. Um, Are you seeing your leaders communicating in ways that's effective? And are they aware of these four dimensions? My practice has, has indicated to me but the answer to the question is no. Is it, well, my style is my style. I communicate. So no, I'm very comfortable talking to people. And, and the depth of analysis, the depth of development along the dimensions really isn't there because people aren't aware that there are different levers that need to be pulled. So my first call out to the group would be, what's the level of awareness among your leaders of these dimensions? That's number one. Second thing that jumped into my mind was objectivity. Objectivity meaning, we kind of touched on it earlier, you're in a position to evaluate the degree to which the messages and the communications are being received. Can you objectively look at it? And some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, my my boss is the CEO, right? What am I going to do? Go in and tell her that her message is falling short? You know, I, I objectively see it, right? But do do I want to do that? Do I want to put myself in that place? So there is an element of objectivity. And frankly, one way that you can get over that is surely within your organizations, there are people who are gifted in each of these dimensions. And one way to help the organization is to pair them up with one another. Someone who's great at it, someone who might need some more support, that type of mentoring can be very helpful. So awareness, I think, is the first thing, Josh. Second is objectivity. Can I see it? And the third, which kind of goes with where I was going, is courage. It's courage. Um, Are you comfortable presenting to a leader that something might need to change? Uh, Are we comfortable taking the the responsibility and the accountability to say, you know what, the way you operate in this environment is just absolutely magical. In this setting, I think it weakens you. Let's talk about what might be behind that and what can we do with it. That takes courage. Um, we, we might not be the power player in our organization. We might not feel we have the right title or the right office to do it. And that's where you can get into techniques of putting something on the table without being offensive. But it does require some assessment. Do you see it? Are you objective in your analysis? And do you have the courage to say, hmm, man, she's great, but she could be over the moon if we could just address this one additional piece. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I, one of the, the sayings I've always loved and really touches on that, Neil, is the idea of feedback as a gift. You really can provide that gift for your leaders and communicate that in a clear, respectful, but helpful way to give that feedback, but also create that awareness you'd mentioned earlier too. I think those are just great things that a team can do um, and, and not to even overlook the, the peer mentorship opportunities as well. As you said, that that is something that so many HR leaders can help create those mentorship opportunities to really pair your current leaders who are great with those who you see a future uh, opportunity for and creating that succession, creating that future leadership, pair them with the ones who are doing it well. 
it's passing it along. It's leading from the front, even in, in those small groups, even in creating dyads within your larger groups, you can create that really great learning opportunity. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important too, Josh, that, that let's tie this back to how we opened it. What are the forces that are affecting leadership development now? The workforce, our employees are asking for an environment where the culture is inviting. Well, what determines that? It's how the leaders communicate with them. Um, the workforce is asking for employees who are really committed, not just showing up. Hmm. I think there's a play for the way I communicate with people that sets that tone. And this leadership fatigue, leadership fatigue is, fr- frankly, I think in a lot of cases, leaders are working too hard. They're working too hard. We're just not using the right way of inviting and engaging and empowering other people um, to do what needs to be done. We're taking on more and more ourselves. So this this notion of unpacking or um, getting into the components, the elements, the dimensions of communication, I think affect those three driving forces right now directly. Wow, that is fantastic. And a great way for us to close out here. So again, just want to thank our wonderful guest for joining us today, Neil Bryant, Vice President of Coaching and Leadership at Bluepoint, for being here with us today, providing some great insight on the importance of multidimensional communication and leadership, especially in a working world that's so unique and continually evolving. Look, if you enjoyed this last hour and are looking for even deeper leadership development and coaching with Neil and the Bluepoint team, I'd suggest heading over to bluepointleadership.com to learn more about creating personalized workshops and programs. We've also got some exciting news to share from the HR Daily Advisor camp here. We're going to be introducing a new monthly leadership column featuring Neil and his great leadership insights, some of which you received today and those thought-provoking questions. That column is set to launch in fall 2023, so we'll be on the lookout for that one to drop very shortly and become a regular piece of the HRDailyAdvisor.com content offerings in our daily newsletter. So certainly be on the lookout for that one with Neil. Neil, I'm excited to have that one for sure. I appreciate the opportunity to all of our folks out there. Good leading. All right. Well, that concludes today's special edition of the HR Works podcast. I hope you got some great takeaways and enjoyed listening to our virtual fireside chat with Neil Bryant, Vice President of Coaching and Leadership at Bluepoint. Thanks again to Neil for sharing his time and insight with us today during that great session presented as part of HR Leadership Week. If you're interested in learning more about Neil and the great leadership coaching provided at Bluepoint, check them out at bluepointleadership.com. And certainly be on the lookout for more great leadership content featuring Neil on hrdailyadvisor.com this fall. Until next time, this is your host, Josh Zygmunt, signing off.